Amen and amen. Beings of heaven, as we go through this wilderness below, Jesus will lead us home. Amen, church. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 6. Matthew chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. One of the coolest things about uh, this time of the year is getting to drive through a neighborhood to see all the Christmas lights on the houses. It's bright, it's colorful, it's pretty. And I, mean, I, I love to do that. I don't know about you, but me and my kids and my family, we love to just ride through and, and, and see that pretty houses. And the lights are awesome, especially for kids. Because for little kids, when they see the lights, man, they're in awe. Sometimes they go crazy, like, wow. That's cool. That's beautiful, Mommy. And so when you drive around this season looking at the Christmas lights in certain neighborhoods, I want you to think about that's a picture of Advent. That's a picture of Advent. And your response of joy and awe is the same response you should have when you reflect upon the Advent of Christ. Christmas lights light up the darkness. They shine in the darkness. And so does Jesus. He brings light to the darkness of our world in the Advent. First John 1, John 1, verses 4 and 5 says, In Jesus' life, the life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Jesus is the Christmas lights to this dark world, and that's Advent. Because remember, what is Advent? Advent isn't about Jesus coming as a receiver. It isn't about Jesus coming as a consumer just to get and get. Advent is about the arrival and coming of Jesus as the giver. The giver. The one who gives life. The one who gives light. The one who gives salvation. The one who gives peace. The one who gives love. The one who gives joy. If he doesn't give it to you, you won't ever get it. Every other thing else you run to is sinking sand if you seek those things in someone other than Jesus. So let's look at Matthew 5, verses 4 through 6. We're going to continue to look at Jesus as the giver of Beatitudes. Here's God's word. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Please pray with me for me. Spirit, as we come to the teaching of the word once again, we need you. We need you. It's so easy just to do church. It's so easy just to come here each week out of routine, because that's what we do as good Southern folk. We go to church on Sunday. It's part of our culture. It's just what we do. We can come here and miss Jesus. We can come here and not worship Jesus. We can come here and not commune with you at all. We can just show up, sing, and then go back to our worldly ways on Monday. 
So Jesus, Holy Spirit, if, if anything is going to happen in us, if anything is going to happen in our heart, it's going to happen because of you, not because of me. Not because of me. I can't even change my own heart, any heart here. So Holy Spirit, you are our helper. You are the one who, who comes to, re, to remind us of Jesus' truth, to lead us into all truth. And so if you don't move today in this place, then we would not be changed. We would not get the encouragement that we need. We would not receive the word that we need to hear. We would not leave here in confident faith if you don't move in our hearts today. So Holy Spirit, we bring to you all of our issues, all of our baggage, all of our junk, all of our brokenness, all of our issues, all of our insecurities. You know them. You know what we need. You know our issues. You know our distress. You know what we deal with day in and day out. And so we come to this place not to be fake, not to pretend like we have it all together, but to say we don't have it all together. And say we need to hear from Jesus. Because if we don't, we can't make it. I hope we will believe that. If we don't hear from Jesus, we won't make it. So Holy Spirit, come and move in us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Jesus is the giver of blessings. That is what the Beatitudes, that's what Beatitudes mean, blessings. And last week we talked about the first of those blessings, that Jesus is the giver of a kingdom. The giver of a kingdom. And he gives the kingdom to people who have saving faith in him. You can't be part of the kingdom if you don't have saving faith in Jesus. And saving faith in Jesus means you trust him and you surrender to him. It means both of those things. You trust and surrender to him as your Lord and your Savior. Why? Because he's the only one who died on the cross for your sins. He's the only one who can make you right with God. Now, this morning, we're going to continue to look at the blessings that he gives. We're going to look at three of them. Jesus, the giver, or what I call corn sat. I know that's a made-up word, but it's an acronym. It's an acronym for comfort, inheritance, satisfaction. Comfort, inheritance, satisfaction. First, Jesus is the giver of comfort. The giver of comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall receive comfort. They shall find comfort. It is a future blessing with a pleasant present reality. It means you will be you will taste comfort in the here and now, in the life that you live now. It won't be to the extent where it's going to be in heaven, but you will get a taste of it in the here and now. It's a promise from Jesus. And again, Jesus doesn't lie. He's not man. If he says he will comfort you in your grieving, he will comfort you. He is the agent of this comfort, the gatekeeper of it. You are a passive recipient of it, meaning you don't work for it. He gives it to you, for they shall be comforted. He has control over the comfort. You don't. It's not something um, that you can give yourself. He has to give it to you. Nor do we determine what the comfort looks like. 
As Americans, we probably don't like that because we're Americans. We like to determine a lot of things, but not with Jesus. He determines what the comfort looks like. You have to simply receive it from his hands. So what does it look like? What is it? What is this comfort that Jesus gives? Because comfort can be a comfortable lifestyle, right? It can be a comfortable lifestyle where I have no issues, I have no problems, I have no hardships, I just live a comfortable life. It can also be a comfort zone where you never leave. Like, if Jesus doesn't want me to get out of my comfort zone. If he loves me, he let me be safe. Is that the comfort he's promising to give? No. It's not blessed are those who want an easy life. It's not blessed are those who want to live in the comfort zone of their easy life. No, it's blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. For they shall be comforted. The comfort is, is an encouragement from Jesus. It can be an exhortation. It can be him coming to you through a word of, of a fellow saint to comfort you in some difficulties of life. Because there are difficulties in life. And who are those that mourn? Who are those that grieve and are in sorrow and lament and sad? It is those who know him in faith. These beatitudes, he's not just, he's talking to his disciples when he originally gave this sermon. He's talking to those who know him. That these are blessings for his people. All those who have saving faith in him. And saving faith. It's more than just going to church, getting your worship on every Sunday. It's more than that. It's more than just knowing stories about Jesus. There are a lot of people who know stories about Jesus. But it's not faith. They know the Sunday school stories. It's more than just posting Bible verses on Facebook. It's more than you simply believing that he's real and believing in your mind that he died on the cross for your sins. Saving faith means you trust Jesus, you depend on Jesus, you repent to Jesus, and you surrender to him. As our vision says, to know him, to enjoy him, to glorify him. That is saving faith. And believers, those who are saved, the Christians, are the ones who get comfort from Jesus. They are the ones who are supposed to mourn. Now, this mourning and grieving isn't over any type of thing because some people grieve because they get caught in an affair. But they grieve because they got caught. You see? It's not the tears the tears and sadness that your kids show when you catch them in sin. You know, they crying because they got caught. Not grieving over what they did. Grieving, this grieving and this sorrow is godly. It's godly. It's done over the right things. This grieving here is a character mark that is produced in every believer by the grace, by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It means you mourn and grieve over your sin. You mourn and grieve over your sin. Do you mourn and grieve over your sin? Do you? You no longer should take pleasure in it. Instead, you should mourn over it. You should hate it. Sin should be tasting more and more bitter, not sweeter. Not sweeter. If you are a believer, if you have saving faith in Jesus, then your sin should be tasting bitter to you, not sweeter. If it tastes sweeter, 
then you got to wonder, do I really know Jesus? And what I mean by that, there should be a conviction in your life over your sin. A conviction that wasn't there before. A conviction that leads to repentance. Mourning over your sin means that. It's a godly sorrow that leads you to repentance. It leads you to the comforts of God's grace where he forgives you. Where forgiveness waits for you. Please know, when you repent, forgiveness waits for you at the throne of grace. It also means you grieve over the sins of the church, over others, over suffering, over injustice, over evil, over violence, over the fallenness and brokenness of the world in which we live. Do you grieve over those things? There was mass shootings in, uh, in California. Did you grieve over that? Or did you go to your political corner to, order, to make a political point? What did you do when you see things like that? Do you grieve over these things? Shootings at the parent plan, 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 Planned Parenthood in Colorado. Did you grieve over that? Mass shootings in Chicago. A nine-year-old boy was killed. Did you grieve over that? A teen was killed in Chicago. Do you grieve over those things? Or do these things mean nothing to us as believers? When you see death, does it hurt you? Do you grieve over it? We should. Do you grieve over the fact that people don't value the sanctity of life at all? They don't. Because they're sinners. And people are evil. They're evil. We live in a world who don't believe that. All human beings are evil and sinners. They're not good. We're sinners. And we, and we do sinful things. The consequences of the fall, the heinous and less heinous ways it works itself out in our world, should grieve every Christian. Because when we see that, we know the world was not created like to be this way. The world was not created to be this way. It was created to be different, but because of the fall, it's not. And we should grieve over that. And when we grieve over such things, Jesus says, comfort will come. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, God is the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in our affliction. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? You have to believe it. And it would, it would be through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It would be, be through the consolation of a friend, a fellow saint within the church. It could be through him healing you or delivering you through something that you're going through. You've got to believe these things. That though the world is evil, though the world is broken, it's still God's world. And you, if you have faith in him, you are his people. And he will comfort you in what you go through. You've got to trust and surrender to Jesus in faith to receive this comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Next, Jesus is the giver of inheritance. Giver of inheritance. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Like the blessing of comfort, this too is a future blessing that is experienced now. Meaning, you taste it now, but it ain't ever going to be what it's going to be. You see? That's our life as believers. Your life as a believer, you will have comfort. You will have an inheritance. But it ain't ever going to be what it's going to be. It ain't ever going to have heaven on earth when you look at these blessings that Christ is talking about. You taste of them. 
for the fullness, the buffet, is still to come later when he comes in the second coming. So he's a giver and inheritance. What does that mean? How do you experience that now? It means you, you are in possession of something that you didn't earn. It's a recognition that the earth still belongs to our God, even in its fallen state. It's a recognition that one day there will be a new heavens and new earth. It's the recognition that Advent is the beginning of Jesus making all things new. Please know that. Advent is the beginning of Jesus making all things new through the redemption of people, places, and things. He's going to make all things new. And that was the beginning of it. Him coming in the virgin birth. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are created through him and for him. Amen? Amen. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Jesus is a bad man. But do you believe that? Everything belongs to him. He rules over the earth. He's transforming it. He's redeeming it. And he gives it to his people as an inheritance. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful Savior. So when you look out in the world, you think all things are falling apart. You got to realize, God, Jesus has this. He has this. I mean, if he can handle what Adam and Eve did, come on. Come on, believers. Come on, saints. If he can handle that, he has this. You got to believe that. Do you believe that? He can handle whatever's taking place in our world. But his people, we've got to believe in him. You've got to trust in him that he is able. And he's God. He's in control. There is nothing the enemy is doing that Jesus can't handle. Because Jesus is God. So where is your confidence? Where is your hope? Where is your peace? If it's in this life, if it's in this country and this world and man, you can always live in fear. But if you hope in Jesus, you can look at ISIS and say, bring it, man. My God, it's my God. You can look at evil and say, bring it, because my God is my God. If I die today, I die today, because my hope is not in this life. So you choose to live in fear based on who your God is. If your God is Yahweh Elohim, you fear no lies. You fear nothing because this is not your home. This is not your home. So where is your hope? Who is your God? Who is your Savior? If it's anything other than Jesus, you will always live in fear and be afraid. Because those things are no, anything outside Jesus is no Savior. It's just sinking sand. Sinking sand. And you have to belong to him to get his blessings. You have to belong to Jesus to get this inheritance of a new earth, new heavens, and new earth. So this means you can't mooch off Jesus. 
You can't mooch off Jesus. In college, we all had a friend that was a mooch. Sometimes it was your roommate. The mooch always wants something from you, but never want to give anything. And some of you, if you operate that, you can't operate with Jesus that way. You can't come to Jesus and say, oh, I want your blessings. Oh, please bless me. But you won't surrender to him in faith. You won't surrender to him in faith. You won't give your life to him. But you want all the blessings. You want all the resources. You want all the benefits. But you won't surrender to him in faith. That's the kingdom moocher. And Jesus doesn't want moochers. And so if you are a kingdom moocher, I have words from you. The words from a R&B singer, no Erica Badu. You need to go call Tyrone and tell him to come help you get your stuff. If you know who she is, you know that song. Because Jesus wants you to have faith in him. Faith in him. Surrender to him. Anything else, you're just a moocher. You've got to know the Savior to get the benefits of the Savior, to get the kindness of the Savior, to get the kingdom of the Savior, to get the inheritance from the Savior. You've got to know him in faith. Trust him, depend upon him, surrender to him. This inheritance is also a reference to God's provisions for his people. I mean, he provides for you in the here and now. Think about it like this. When a woman says she is a kept woman, what, what is that woman saying? What, what does she mean when she says, I'm a kept woman? She has no worries. She's taken care of. Her man provides for her. He takes care of her. She probably don't have to do anything. He provides for her. Saved people are kept people. Do you know that? You are kept people by your God. Everything that you have, everything you're going to have, has been given to you by Jesus. You've got to know that. It ain't just because you got education or just because of your last name. It's because God blessed. God has provided. It all belongs to him. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not what? Want. All our needs, all our well-being is provided for by another. And that is from the hands of God. But do you believe it? As American Christians, do you believe that? It ain't just because we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Because God blessed you. God's provided for you. David says in Psalm 27, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's him providing for you. That is his daily bread that he gives to each of his people as gifts. He works all things to the good of those who love him. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? The world is still God's world even though it's fallen. He's restoring it. He's transforming it. And as, as he does these things, his people can enjoy his creation, be good stewards of his creation, but not worship it. That means no one should care more about the earth than Christians. There is no other person who should care more about this creation than us. Because it's our gods. But do we live that way? Everything you enjoy in life, everything you're going to enjoy in life, comes from the hands of your sovereign God. And when you believe that, it produces something in you. It produces meekness in you. 
It says the meat shall inherit the earth. When you know the hands that feed you is Yahweh, you'll be meek because you realize it ain't me. It's not me. Meekness is something that's produced in you again by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's gentleness. It's submissiveness. It's like it's being like a sheep in character. And what comes to mind when we think about a sheep? A sheep is not a very strong animal. The sheep is not a prey. It doesn't prey upon other animals. A sheep needs a shepherd. If they don't have a shepherd, they're in trouble. And so us being meek is us being sheep when it comes to Jesus. That's who we are. And grace produces that in you. A sheep-like meekness where our pride of wanting to be independent of God is squeezed out. We're no longer living a man-centered lifestyle, but we live in one that is centered on Christ and him alone. That's what it means to be meek. One of the best qualities about being a sheep is that sheep know the voice of their shepherd. Do you know the voice of your shepherd? If you don't, you may be lost. Do you recognize Jesus' voice in your life? Do you hear it? If you don't hear it, do you ask him to show it to you? Do you recognize the voice of your shepherd in your marriage, as you parent, on your jobs, in your neighborhoods? Do you hear him? Do you recognize him? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This meekness is also contentment. Contentment. Have you thought about that? Contentment. Contentment in what Jesus has given you and his provisions in your life. And you're not coveting what he gives other people. Because Christians can do that, particularly in church. We cover other people's blessings. And not content with what, how God has blessed you. If you believe Jesus is your God and he's providing for you, then you will be content in the ways that he has blessed you. And even rejoice as he blesses others and not feel jealous of them. Blessed are the meat, for they shall inherit the earth. Finally, Jesus the giver of satisfaction. Of satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, this is something that is given to you as a believer. Something that you can't earn, but it's what is given to you. It's a future blessing that you will experience now. And satisfaction means fulfillment. It means pleasure. It can mean enjoyment. It can mean happiness. Every child, preteen, teen, young adult, older adult, wants satisfaction. We all do. Now, what we want the satisfaction is different based upon who we are. But we all want fulfillment. We all want happiness. We all do. We pursue it. We work for it. We plan for it. We fight for it. We cheat for it. We lie for it. We steal for it. No matter who you are or where you're from, you want fulfillment and happiness in your life. We do. We want satisfaction in our desires. And so have you found that yet? Have you found what you're looking for? Are you satisfied yet? And some of you aren't satisfied because you want satisfaction in areas and things that Jesus simply ain't going to bless. He simply ain't going to bless it. He isn't going to satisfy simple desires. So we ain't need to ask him to bless it. It may feel good to you. It may feel right to you. But don't expect Jesus to bless sin. 
immoral relationships, self-centered pleasures, shady business practices, unethical dealings with people, whatever you want to place in there, Jesus will not satisfy every desire that you have. Now, there's one desire he will satisfy, and it is your thirst and your hunger for righteousness. Your thirst and your hunger for righteousness shall be satisfied. What does that mean? First, it means you will long to long more for Jesus. That is what thirst for righteousness and hunger means. To long more for him. To know him more. As the psalmist says, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul pants after God. Does your soul long more for Jesus? Or are you just satisfied with breadcrumbs of Jesus? Which is it? If you can have everything in the world and a little bit of Jesus, will you take it? Many of us will. Many of us would, probably including myself. Would I be happy if Georgia won a national championship and then a little bit of Jesus? <laughs> so do you thirst more for God is the point in your walk, in your Christian walk? To know him more. This is to live in fellowship and a relationship with Jesus throughout your life. It's meaning that you can God gives you grace to love him back. Do you know that? He gives you the grace to love him back. Is there love for Jesus in your heart? Is there? Do you have a, a desire to pursue him in relationship? Please know it. When Jesus reconciled you to God, there should be a desire in you to know him more. should be a desire in you to pursue him in relationship. And that's amazing that you can know God. And again, I should have some amens. I'm going to get something up here that I pushed when I want you all to say amen. All right, say amen now. Amen. That's what you have. Do you, what do you thirst for then? If you're not thirsting for Jesus, you're thirsting for something. What is it? What do you live for? What do you live for? What's going to make you happy? What's going to give you that peace? What's going to give you that significance? We all know the things that we pursue. We all know. You know what you pursue. Is it making you happy? If it ain't Jesus, then it ain't going to make you happy. You're going to always run from the next thing to the next thing. Until you find Jesus, you ain't ever going to find what you need. And that's gospel truth, whether you believe it or not. On December the 1st, 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks refused to obey the bus driver James F. Blake's order to give up her seat in the colored section to a white passenger while after the white section was filled. Her act of defiance against this Jim Crow law got her arrested by officers F.B. Day and, and D.W. Mixon. And, and Mrs. Park said to these officers, he says, why do you push us around? Officers, the officer Day's response was this. He says, I don't know, but the law is the law, and you're under arrest. Rosa Park's actions on, the 19, on December 1st, 1955, 
and countless other acts like this sparked the civil rights movement in our country to stand up against injustice and unjust laws. I hope you realize to hunger and to thirst for righteousness also means you stand up for injustice and unjust laws. Do you know that? I hope so. Because our God stands up to injustice and unjust laws as well. You see, to hunger and thirst for righteousness means Christians are to desire to desire the things that God desires, to love the things that he loves, and to hate the things that he hates. God loves sinners, and so should you. God hates sin, and so should you. God loves justice, so should you. God hates injustice, he hates evil, he hates oppression, he hates discrimination, he hates racial hatred, and so should you. God loves the sanctity of life. From the womb to the grave. Please know that. From the womb to the grave. Not just pro-birth. He's pro-life. From the womb to the grave. From the greatest, greatest of us to the least of us. From the richest of us to the poorest of us. He loves us. And so should you. But do you believe that? If you're thirsting and hunger for righteousness, it's going to mean standing up for certain things in life. Micah 6, 8 says, God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does God require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is the giver of this. But do you believe it? But do you know him first? the question and once you know him he gives you satisfaction he gives you an inheritance he gives you comfort so that everyone who thirsts you can come to the waters if you have no money you can come you can buy and eat you can come buy wine without milk or without money without price he says why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy that is the question why do we spend our time on things that does not satisfy? It is indiligent to me. To eat what is good and to light yourselves in rich food means you have to come to Jesus. To delight yourself in what is good, to be satisfied in this life, to eat rich food, you have to come to Jesus in saving faith, period. You ain't got to go to the Greek and Hebrew for that. You just got to come to Jesus. And the blessings are available to you freely. It's free. That's going to cost you your life, but free. If you will come to him in saving faith, and that is to trust him, and that is to surrender to him. Anything else, you're just a moocher. Let us pray. Father God, I do pray for those here who know you, that you will encourage them as they go out this week to know that you are the giver of comfort in their life, that you are a giver of an inheritance in their life, that you are a giver of satisfaction in their life. We do know, Lord, the world is not what it's meant to be. It's hard. It's difficult. The fall has happened. A lot of bad things happen in this life. But, Lord, you got to strengthen our faith and our trust in you 
Because if we're looking at the news and reading Facebook and all those things, I mean, it's downright depressing. It makes you want to lose friendships over the stuff that you see and people say. So, Lord, as for your people, we got to know that there's a God in heaven who is on our side. We have to believe that we can't just bounce about what we see. We got to hold on to faith, Lord, as we move through this life as sojourners. So I pray for your people that you watch over them. I pray for those here who don't know you, that if they don't know you, that you will stir in them, Lord, a conviction that leads to repentance and saving faith. That you would do it, Holy Spirit, for the glory of our God and King. And I pray for all this in your Son's wonderful name. Amen.